Hey there. Before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. We are going to dive into our opening scripture for today, our guiding verse. The text that we are going to be looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. It says... All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own suffering, even more of God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. If troubles weigh us down, that just means that we will receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring comfort to you. And this comfort upholding you, and with this comfort upholding you, you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. Now our hope for you is unshakable. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in God's comforting strength. Brothers and sisters, you need to know about the severe trials we experienced while we were in Western Turkey. All of the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. And we were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up entirely. It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts and we still feel it to this day. It has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all our trust in the God who raises the dead. He has rescued us from terrifying encounters with death. And now, we fasten our hopes on him to continue to deliver us from death yet again as you labor together with us through prayer. Can I pray with you? Well, can you pray with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, I... Thank you for this time, this opportunity to speak your word um, to your people. And I ask that in this moment, God, that you, you do what only you can do, God. You do what only you can do. I thank you. I love you. In your name, amen. So uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in a family of four. I was the youngest of four brothers. You can imagine how that went. A lot of scars, a lot of bruises. Um, A lot of psychological issues on not having a voice, you know. Um, But I didn't really grow up in a family of four. See, we had a cousin, and he he is our only cousin. We got the one cousin. His name's Kitu. Well, we call him Kitu. Um, It's weird. Not... It's weird. What's interesting is that even though I have the one cousin, every time I talk about him, my friends are always like, who Kitu? And I'm always like, 
yeah, I just got the one. Hasn't changed, 27 years, hasn't changed. Just got the one, no new cousins, I promise you. It's like, oh yeah, my cousin, your cousin Kitu? Yeah, just the one, just got the one cousin. Some reason, where's people out that I only have one cousin? But he was never really a cousin to us. See, because it was just the four of us, he was really like a brother. He really is like a brother. Um, and so I always really felt like I grew up in a family of five. I was the youngest of five. Imagine that. And I should tell you how he got his name. He always fit in. Um, he was, growing up, he's always been my brother Rodolfo's best friend. Um, but his name's not really Kitu. His name is really Abraham Ahmed yeah, I threw you guys off. You're like, what? Where the heck did that come from? Ahmed. Abraham Ahmed Sharif. He is Puerto Rican and Costa Rican from my family's side, my aunt's side, and Egyptian from his father's side. But the way he got the name Kitu is my aunt was listening to a commercial. She was watching TV, and the key food commercial came on. And the jingle was something like, come on down to key food. And she was like, Kitu, what's that? She looked it up, eventually found out, oh, it's not Kitu, it's Kifud. Only in a Spanish household, I'm telling you. My mom, ask my mom to say ricochet if you see her. Um, <laughs> I can't even Im Im imitate it because it'll sound like I'm cursing. Um, um, and so she liked the name Kitu so much that she actually started to call my cousin this, and it caught on in our family. In fact, everybody in my family has a nickname. My cousin is Kitu. My um, older brother, Raul, is Lalito. That's right, not Raulito, Lalito, because my other brother, Rodolfo, has a speech impediment, and that's how it caught on. So he's Lalito. Rolando is Yayo, because my brother, Rodolfo, has a speech impediment. My brother, Fo, has given everybody the nicknames in the house. So Lalito, Yayo, my brother, Rodolfo, is Fofo. And for a while growing up, I was Chepito, because my middle name is Jose. My grandfather was Jose, and Chepe is a nickname for people named Jose. So I was Chepito, now I'm just Rue, and Kitu was Kitu. And growing up, we used to have jokes about Kitu, because he is so dynamic, so interesting. Like, he learned Taekwondo and went to like the highest levels, but we used to joke like, Abraham, you didn't learn self-defense, you learned self-offense. Because I feel bad whoever gets into a problem with you. True story, my brother Rodolfo was a bouncer, he was bouncing one time, and my cousin is there and a fight breaks out, and as soon as the fight breaks out, my cousin's not even working, he's like, oh, can I help? Can I get in there? And like, my brother's like, no, Kitu, just, just wait, just wait, just um, let me do my thing, and Kitu's just like, he looks like, you know, he's getting ready to go to a race, he's like, just get ready, and, I, and then eventually, um, you know, I don't condone any of this violence, by the way. I'm just, you know, I'm just sharing my story. Um, my brother eventually needs the help. He's like, all right, Kitu, go. And he takes off. And you just see his legs flying everywhere. And that's it. The fight's done. That's it. Kitu goes, fight is gone. And then there's this other thing about my cousin Abe. It's the way he talks and communicates. Honestly, I'm convinced he'd be a better preacher than me. Because he could say anything. And when he's right, it's good. But when, it's wrong, when he's wrong, it's dangerous. Because it's hard not to believe him. It is like he could tell me, yeah, bro, the other day, 
you know, I noticed that the sky is not actually blue, it's fuchsia. I'm like, what? It was outlandish. But he would talk in such a, I wish I could imitate it. I tried, I can't. Honestly, I wish I could just do it. I have way less arguments in life. He just talks with such passion and such conviction. Now, listen, listen, look, you have to understand. See, because when I was there, I, I can't even make up the logic, but it's this intensity and this passion, and he will not break eye contact. And son, about someone who doesn't blink and makes eye contact the whole time that makes you feel like, you know, he might be right. I don't know, because I know I'm right. I'm still blinking. And there was this time, there was also this time growing up with my cousin that um, he made me rebuke him. I've told this story before. There's this vent in my house. I don't know why it's there because it doesn't connect to a vent. It's a vent in the floor of a room that just goes right to our dining room. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, I used to just jump through it. Why is that funny? I just, I just, um, I know I'm big now, all right? I used to be skinny, all right? Um, and so one time I was going, because you know, when you're the youngest, who's the youngest in their household? Yeah, so you know, you, you are also the butler of the house, the servant of the house. And so one time I'm getting my brother Fofo a drink and I hear this noise. Just and I freak out because when you grow up in a Christian household, you don't have monsters, you have demons. So I flew up the stairs. Jesus walked on water. Um, it might be blasphemy, but I'm pretty sure I walked on air that time. It was that one time that I just flew upstairs. I'm like, he wants my soul. Sure enough, my brother, foe, this, be this, gets into, this becomes an issue with the system he got where he don't got to get up to do nothing. And so he, you know, this is the first sermon I ever heard from my brother, foe. He goes, listen, Reuben, you just have to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. So I said, all right, so you come with me, and you show me how to do that if you're so sure. Sure enough, he comes with me, and we go downstairs, hear it again, and I freak out. I freak out again, and I can't run because my brother foe keeps grabbing me. So what I try to do, for what I don't know why I did this, but I tried to climb my brother foe. I don't know what that was going to do. Just, just like, no, nah! ah! And Foe's like, just say it. Say it, Reuben, say it. And I'm like, I rebuke you in the name of freaking Jesus. <laughs> and I'm crying and I'm like shaking. And my brother is cracking up, cracking up. Because while I was saying that, he looked and saw the vent and saw my cousin Kitu's face because it was him all along. I love my cousin. We've always loved my cousin. He's really close to the family. He's like a brother. And that's why a couple years ago, when we got a call from a friend of a friend who was an EMT that responded to the call that he had overdosed on heroin and had been homeless for a few weeks. You, you've never seen anybody assemble faster than my family in a crisis, I promise you. Avengers ain't got nothing on us. 
all four of my brothers who we've, we can never, ever get together. Like, it's, we, our schedules never line up. In a moment's notice, we're in Spanish Harlem looking for him. And we found him, and we tried to help him, and he was like, no, I'm okay. And so the next day, you know, we, we trusted him. We were like, we got to let you do your thing. And the next day, he showed up in our house like, hey, I, I want to be done with this. So we helped him, and he lived with us for a time. And um, the thing about addiction is it's anyone who's dealt with addiction or knows addiction, it is a fierce thing. And eventually he wound up back there. And just knowing what you're supposed to do with addiction, we let him go because anything else will turn into a codependent relationship. It, Anybody who knows addiction says this, they have to want the change. And it's until they hit rock bottom, which is the scariest thing to do, right? Like I'm gonna loving, out of my love for you, I'm gonna let you hit rock bottom. Then a couple years ago, I don't, I don't know the timeline, I think it might have been actually 2019, the mother of his son assembled us and said she wanted to do an intervention, so we got together. We didn't, and uh, we found him again. We did an intervention for him, and he, he said he would go. So the next day, we took him to a rehab clinic, and it was a fight. Like, he was going through withdrawals. He was having such a hard time. He was going through some up and downs, but we got him there. And that very night, we were told, well, we found out the next day that that very night, he checked himself out. And again, with addiction, we, we had to let him go. We had to say, we, we were able to speak to him throughout, ever since that time, and we've called him and we said, hey man, we want you to know that we're here for you. That the second you're ready to get cleaned up, we have resources, we have places that we can take him, we are ready, but you have to want this. And he said, I know, you know, we've talked to him, he was arrested, and we talked to him while he was in prison. He got clean in prison, and then he eventually went back to it. And as of this moment that I'm sharing, usually, you know, this is that big church moment where I would get to be like, by, by the grace of God, he's healed, he's recovered, he's preaching next week. But this, unfortunately, doesn't end this way. I'm thankful to God that it doesn't end yet. He's, But last week, last week on Baptism Sunday, which, like, I just admire Rose so much for being able to preach through this pain, not once, but for two services. Right before walking into Ignite Church, he got a phone call that our cousin was found unconscious with cocaine in his system and other drugs, and they found that he had contracted meningitis, which is a highly fatal disease. Um, the social worker had called us, and she was brokenhearted. And honestly, I want you to know our family's preparing for the worst. We're hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And if you ask me, how do you feel? Honestly, I don't know. Because I have the privilege but unfortunate knowledge of addiction because of my schooling, and I know how this thing works. And the day that I found out he checked himself out of rehab, I also prepared myself emotionally to get a phone call. Honestly, it's good news to hear that he's in a hospital with meningitis and alive because I've prepared myself to hear that he would be dead. 
I don't share this story just to make you guys all feel sorry for me. As a matter of fact, I share this story because of what I want to talk about today. I want you to know before I begin this message, I know pain. I understand pain. What you're about to hear is not going to come from someone who doesn't know what pain is. That's just one story of pain that I've experienced in my life. My counselor has helped me realize all the pain that I've suppressed in my life. I want you to know that I know what pain is. And I want you to know that because the title of my message is for anyone out there who might be dealing with pain. My title is listen to this if you are in pain. What I am hoping to do today is create a message that isn't just going to be good for you today, but might be a message that you have to come back to one day because the reality is pain is pervasive. And so whatever you might be going through, you might overcome, but you might find new pain. So I want you to listen to this message again if you're in pain. Whatever you're dealing with today, I want you to listen to this if you're in pain. If there is suffering or trials going on in your life. And I, I want to give you the definition for pain. It's Ruben's own definition. You are hurting. That's it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's real. It doesn't matter if you had a dream that your husband or wife cheated on you. You can be hurt about a dream. Can you yell at your husband? And, uh, no, all right, have some grace. But you can have pain. And, and don't feel the need to say just because it might be irrational pain, it doesn't make it any less painful. My friend Emily, she was just leading worship. She's amazing. She's always cold. No matter where we go, she's always cold. We blast the heat. She's always cold. Does it make sense? No. Does it change the fact that she's cold? I'm warm. I'm hot. You're cold. It doesn't make sense. Does it stop her from being cold? So why do we do that to our pain? I want you to know that your pain is real and your pain is valid and pain is a part of life. And so whatever pain you are going through, rational, irrational, silly, imagined, made up, it's still pain. And feelings are not right or wrong. What we do with our feelings, our actions can be right or wrong, but feelings are just made to be felt and heard. So what I want to do today is listen to those feelings and I want to talk about how to get through it. See, the vent story about my cousin, I think, actually connects to pain in so many ways. Because pain, the way that my cousin was sneaking up on me, pain tends to sneak up on us. I don't know if anybody ever got a warning for pain, right? Like, like imagine if at the start of your life it was like, all right, Angie, Anthony, who's another A name here? Um... Here is all the pain you're going to experience in your life. Imagine we could prepare for pain. And even when you do know pain is coming, like I used to play these games with my friends growing up um, where, like, we would hit each other. Or, like, uh, it was like, give me that gilly if you were wrong. You would take it shot for shot. Oh, man, this is one time. I don't even, I don't even know if we have time. But this is one time where John and Roe exchanged shots. 
I'll tell you another time. Just be grateful that God has favor over John because <laughs> Ro forgot John had asthma. Uh, anyway, um, no matter how much you brace yourself, it never feels like you could really brace yourself for pain. And in that same way, I, I really was caught by surprise by this. But it also overwhelms us the way I was overwhelmed by my cousin. He, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't process. It, it also blinds us. I could not see my cousin, but my brother, who was unaffected, was able to clearly see my cousin. And so sometimes when we're in pain, we cannot clearly see all the options we have in front of us. We just see one. It's a demon, and I got to run. And honestly, some of us think that too. If anything we go through, it's the devil. But there's also power in having someone go through it with you, right? Like the difference maker in the second time I experienced this is my brother came with me. And it's funny because, well, it's in speaking about that, that's actually the first thing that I want to talk about as we unpack 2 Corinthians 1. See, I believe that there is a way to go through pain. Pain is going to happen, but it doesn't have to overcome us. I believe that there's a way to go through pain, but we have to go through it. And I, I think we can unpack a new way to get through it by looking at 2 Corinthians. So I want to go into the beginning of this verse, 2 Corinthians first, ver, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, all praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, for he is the Father of our tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them the same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And I read this verse, and I can't stop thinking that when it comes to pain, I need to, number one, find comfort in community. I don't know why. It's the weirdest thing to me because no matter how many times I can try it and it doesn't work, I still try it. But for some reason, when we are in pain, we tend to isolate ourselves. And what's crazy about the beast of isolation is, man, ain't no trickery, trickier thing than isolation because isolation well, the result of isolation will cause you to push others away, put up walls so people can't get to you because I'm hurting right now. And then when you look around and see that you're by yourself, you look at the very people you pushed away and say, you left me. And it's not your fault. That's the beast of isolation. It's what it does. Listen, I do it. I'm a, man, if you could win trophies for pushing people away in a way that makes them feel like, oh, we just got busy. Nah, I made you think we got busy. And then I find myself saying, where were you? Where were you? I guess I'm going to share this story. Um, I wasn't planning to, but my best friend Ray is here. Uh, he's been my best friend since high school. <laughs> um, Dyron, don't get jealous, Dyron. All right, you're my best friend too. But what I found is, <laughs> I 
what I found is we were talking the other day. And we were talking about how over the years we grew apart a little bit. And I was honest with him. I said, honestly, I felt a little bit abandoned by you the whole time. I felt like you were pushing me away. And he's like, that's crazy because I've always known that I can count on you, that you're my best friend, that when it comes down to it, I know you're there. And I've always, always in my worst moments known I got a best friend in Ruben. And I'm like, that's crazy because I thought that the complete opposite. But isn't that the beast of isolation? Who pushed who away? Ray says, I've always known you were my best friend. I'm saying, so then who's been pushing who away? That's how isolation works. But it doesn't work. It doesn't make the pain go away. If anything, it amplifies and intensifies it because what it does is it gets you alone with your thoughts and your thoughts, whew. Do we need alone time occasionally? Absolutely, especially if you're an introvert. <laughs> All the introverts. But there is a difference between space and isolation. There's a difference between taking some time to gather yourself and introvert it up and isolating and pushing people away. But what 2 Corinthians teaches us is not only that being alone isn't the answer, but it's not that hard to connect to community. What he says, Paul says, we have God who provides endless comfort. And it's always, he's always alongside us to comfort us in what kinds of sufferings? Every. The ones that matter? No, every. Only the ones that are rational? No, every. Only the ones that make sense? No, every single suffering, he is there for you. And so the question isn't, will God come alongside you? The question is, will you acknowledge that he's there and embrace the comfort that he's already ready to provide for you endlessly? And then in verse 5, he says, just as we experience, this is crazy, the abundance of Christ's suffering, just as we experience the abundance of Christ's suffering, even more God's comfort, other translations say, abound all the more. God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. That is abounding language, which up until Wednesday, when I was preparing this, I thought only existed in the verse that Pastor Rowe shared last week, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Oh man, no matter how much you fall short, God's grace runs laps around your failures and is there for you. Well, according to 2 Corinthians, no matter how much pain you are in, 
Where pain abounds, his comfort abounds all the more. Where pain, no matter what suffering you experience, no matter how much pain you are in, his comfort, the way his, that means it's true, the way his comfort, his grace runs laps around your sin, his comfort is also there to run laps around your pain. The question is, are we embracing it? And if you're listening to this, and you're in pain, I want you to know that he's right there, ready to embrace you. And there is no amount of pain that he won't be able to conquer with his comfort. And what's beautiful is that God doesn't just want to be the only one there for you. He's designed this, this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called humanity. See, he didn't create a human, individual, meant to do their own thing. I was born alone, I'll die alone. It's one of the worst misconceptions, by the way. There were doctors, there was nurses, you had a mother to carry you. You don't even die alone. Who prepares the funeral? Come on. Um, he did not set up a system of individual people who do their own thing and go through their own stuff. No, what he created was humanity, and his desire has always been for them to exist in community. And if you look at the last line of verse 4, it says, God will comfort us so that... We can come alongside others. He doesn't want to just comfort you for you. He wants you to comfort others. But also, he wants others to comfort you. So the question isn't, will people comfort you? He has a system designed for that. The question is, will you allow comfort in your life? Will you embrace community or will you isolate? Who was coming alongside us? God. Initially, it's God coming alongside the us in this passage. And then they go on to comfort others. And when we carry this out, what happens is we become, don't hear me the wrong way. I'm not saying we become gods. We become the God in their life. And we start to fill the image of God fulfill the image of God in which he created us. He comforts us, empowers us to be the comforter in the lives of the lives of others. And in doing so, we fulfill the way that we were created, which is in his image, because we are acting out the very thing that he does for humanity. And not so secret, secret, God's desire is to partner with his creation he spends six days creating, and after he creates all this stuff, who does he put in charge to have dominion over what he's created? Not the angels, humanity. His desire is to empower us to have dominion. And even in the context of community, he doesn't want to be our sole comforter. He wants humanity to be able to come together in community. And there's so much power in this. So much power in this. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 1, 6 through 7. Paul, see, understands the power of connecting. And so he's able to say this. Excuse me. It says, if troubles weigh us down, 
He's already talked about pain that he's experiencing, but now he's talking about his mindset on pain. He says, if troubles weigh us down, well, that just means, sounds like an excited statement. That just means we will receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. Exclamation point. Guys, punctuation matters. He's yelling this. We get even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring comfort to you. And with this comfort upholding you, you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. The suffering and pain that I've gone through, you can endure it. Why? Because I get to comfort you. Because in community, I get to empower you. He says, now our hope for you is unshakable because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in God's comforting strength. See, I believe that because Paul understood community and in connecting, he knew that his pain would get to be transformed into comfort. And because it was transformed into comfort, it would be an overflowing comfort that got to use. That means when he saw pain and endured pain, he also saw the purpose in it. And not in and of itself. I don't believe that God forces us to go through painful experiences to do something. I do believe that God is God and is willing to use the broken nature of our world and will take what could have been painful and use it for something better. As a matter of fact, there's this kid named Joseph in the Bible who echoes this statement. Joseph experiences a life of pain. His brothers betray him. I think the word you sold me out comes from Joseph because they literally sold him into slavery. And then when he's a slave, he's the best slave. It says that his master loves him. He's his favorite slave, which is a weird title. I don't think any of us would aspire for that. But Joseph is so faithful that he did. And in his faithfulness, the wife of his master tries to come on to him and make a pass at him. And Joseph says, how could I ever betray my master? He is so faithful. What does he get? Accused of sexual assault and thrown into prison. Because he said no. And in prison, he helps out these two guys who are, are, are the, the, uh, the, like the, the, they're part of the key staff of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he helps them out. And he says, hey, all I ask is that you remember me when you get to Pharaoh, and they forget. Until Pharaoh starts having some dreams, and they're like, oh, there's this one guy who's like, oh, like I remember this dude Joseph. And it's, they get Joseph because it's convenient for them, because they need him again. And so he helps, and he ends up being at the right hand of Pharaoh, and his, there's a famine, and his, ultimately the way the story ends is his brothers are at his feet. They don't even know it's Joseph. He eventually reveals himself, and they start crying, and he says to them, it's okay. See, what you meant for evil, God used for good. My pain, all the pain that I've experienced has been put to purpose. 
I've been able to save lives. Man, if, I, I wonder if he's, he was ever like, man, if you didn't, I'm so grateful that you sold me out. Because if you didn't so, sell me out, millions of people would have perished. And I believe Paul is able to speak this and say this because he understands the same concept. And it's something that I think that we need to get into our minds as well when we experience pain. Number two is, if you're listening to this and you're in pain, listen to this if you're in pain. What I want you to know is, put your pain to purpose. He says, look at the language. He says, what has weighed me down, I will be able to use to empower others. And what's cool about, I'm going to get nerdy here. What's cool about the literary design of this passage, and I, I did my due diligence, I checked all the translations, made sure it didn't just read this way, in this translation. I love this translation because it's in your face with the literary technique. There's a literary technique that we don't have time to go into, but Jewish writers used, and Paul being a, 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 stud, a student of Jewish scripture would have understood this as well. And it's, it involves repetition. Uh, these patterns, raps do it, right? An A, B, rap scheme, A, B, A, B, A, B. That's the pattern, A, B. So there's a pattern that's created here. And I think when we uncover the pattern, it's so powerful what's happening. See, in verse five, he says, just as we experience Christ's suffering, even more we share God's comfort. And when we share God's comfort, we get to pass it to you. A, B, C. We share in Christ's suffering, then we share in God's comfort, we pass it to you. That's what's created, A, B, C. Then he says, now what can happen is you can experience our same suffering, A, B, C, A. And in experiencing our same suffering, what's their suffering? This, it's the same suffering. It's the suffering for serving Christ. Well, you also experience our same comfort. What's their comfort? God's comfort. You see the scheme? A, B, C, A, B. I want to stop and do something really quickly. I need your participation. You guys are going to participate? Don't, don't make me look bad on the live stream. All right? And if they do, we're editing this out. I'm telling that to myself because I edit the live stream. Um, you ready? Two, four, six, A, B, C, D. You see how because you know the pattern that's, that's a common pattern that when I stop, you can keep going? This is actually how it worked. The, the Israelites, the, the scribes of the Bible, didn't have chapters and numbers. They committed things to memory. And the way that you would quote a piece of scripture is you would just say the first line and a download would come into place. Like, I can do this with you. The Friends theme song. You, you know the, all the lyrics for the most part, right? All I had to say was, friends, I'll be there. And friends, fans can know it. It's easy to do it with the office jingle, right? You just know it intuitively. And so this technique was in their culture. And so he does something so cool. He goes, A, we, we experience Christ's suffering. B, 
we receive God's comfort. C, we pass that comfort on. A, you experience Christ's suffering. B, you experience God's comfort. What C? I'm so proud of you guys. I was worried about, I was like, oh, are they going to get it? Like, you guys are now all Jewish. No, I'm wrong. Isn't that interesting? That now there is this opportunity. See, here, here's what I need to tell you. Your, how you respond to your pain is going to create a ripple effect. It will. And I can tell it to you in a popular adage. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. So those hurt people, what are they going to do? Hurt people. But Paul is talking about a different thing, a different ripple effect. And I believe that when we put our pain to purpose, we have the opportunity to change this hurt people, hurt people world. We can see one, we, what we can create is a world where hurt people embrace community and embrace putting their pain to purpose and find healing in Jesus. And when they do that, they lead hurting people to the healing of Jesus. And those people go on and do the same. And we create a ripple effect of hurt people getting healed and healing hurt people until we can finally say, not hurt people, hurt people, but man, Hurt people, heal people. Can't nobody heal someone like a hurt person. Because a hurt person has experienced the comfort of God in a different way. Man, a hurt person experiences comfort in a new way. Paul said the more hurt we are, the more of God's comfort we get to pass on. And I think of John, who dealt with drug addiction for years. And there was a moment when my cousin came back. He told us he hadn't been using. He told us he'd been clean, that he hadn't overdosed when the ambulance picked him up, that it was like hunger or something. And we believed him. And then he saw John that same Sunday, and they made eye contact. And but... John has been healed from the same hurt that my cousin was going through. And my cousin couldn't even lie to him. They made eye contact and my cousin broke down and cried and confessed everything to John. Why? Because John was a hurt person who found healing. Looking at a person hurting the same way as him. And can't nobody heal somebody like someone who's been hurt and has found comfort in Jesus. We need to put our pain to purpose so we can rewrite the cycle. And when he does this, Paul recounts his pain in a different way. way. See, I also think the power of all of this that we're talking about is it will re... You will retell the past painful experiences that you've experienced in a new way. See, Paul is talking about his pain, and he's using some strong language. But, like, doesn't it read weird? Let, let, let's look at it as we go into my last takeaway. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, you need to know.
about the severe trials we experience, all the hardships we pass through, crushed us beyond our ability to endure. We were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up. It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts and we still feel it to this day. That's grimy. That's tough. That language. We had a death sentence written on our hearts that we still feel today. But the conclusion of this painful past is it has taught us that I don't need no man. That's what I'm thinking, right? Like, how many, I don't need no man. I don't need no woman. I could do bad all by myself. How many, thank you for the lesson you taught me. How many exes we got that we, hey, I just want to thank you for your lesson. You, oh, it's okay. We, you were just a lesson that the Lord wanted me to learn. Y'all laughing too much. What's going on over here? Hurt people, healing people. That's what we got right here. He doesn't say, he says it taught us, it taught us to lose all faith in ourselves. Man, Paul, that still sounds depressing. I just lost faith in myself. But he's, he says, he says, to lose faith in ourselves and to place our trust, all of our trust in the God. Man, it felt like we had a death sentence. But you know what we learned to do? To place our trust in the God who raises the dead. He's rescued us from terrifying encounters with death. And now we fasten. So what has happened in the past? We learned in our pain to trust in God. So what are we going to do now? <laughs> We're going to fasten our hope to him and that he'll continue to deliver us from death yet again. We still feel it to this day. We still trust in God to this day too. And in the midst of his painful experience, he was able to use his past as a testimony for why he can hope in God in the midst of pain. And what you need to know if you are dealing with pain is to place your hope in God. What I wanted to say was when you feel hopeless, hope in God. That's cool. That's catchy. But it would be a disservice to you because it's not what Paul says. He doesn't say when we were hopeless, we placed our hope in God. He says when we were hopeless, we learned we need to place our hope in God. So we continue to hope in God no matter what the circumstance is. At all times, I place my hope in God. Whether you are in pain, out of pain, in blessings, you need to hope in God. And this language is familiar. I've heard it in the Bible before. Placing your hope in God when there's no hope left in yourself. heard it all over the Bible and every everywhere you can find entire books the book of Job is a book dedicated to a man suffering the book of Jonah is a, a committed to a man is about a man dealing with bitterness and resentment Habakkuk is a book about someone who is mad at God but look Psalms 918 
says, he will not forget the needs of the poor. One day the needy will be remembered and their hopes will not be forever dashed in disappointment. Romans 4.18 says, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. Psalms 34, 17 to 19 says, yet when holy lovers of God cry out to him, with their hearts, the Lord will hear them and come to rescue them from their troubles. He's close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain, and he is always ready to restore. Romans 12, 12 says, let the hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in times of trouble, trouble but commune with God at all times. Psalms 42, 5, in the midst of a depression, this writer says, so then my soul, why would you be depressed? Some of us need to talk to our soul like that. Why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Man, just keep hoping and waiting on God, your Savior, for no matter what, no matter what, I will sing with praise, for you are my saving grace. And Revelation, the book of week we can all expect when Christ returns and what he's going to do. What's funny is there's so much bad theology that's out there that's like, get ready before Christ comes. Oh, you better turn. Oh, when Jesus comes back, you cut me off in traffic. Wait till Jesus. This is what it says Jesus is going to do. In Romans 21, 4, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep any longer. The pain, the pain of wounds will no longer exist for the old order. What's the old order? The broken world we live in now will have ceased. Listen, Kuha, or whoever might be listening to this, there's no doubt that we will face trials. Moments where we feel utterly hopeless. The Bible doesn't shy away from those things. It runs towards them. If you read the Bible, it is a book of painful people, people in hurt and pain and suffering. Hebrews chapter 11 recounts, like it's like a recap, the story thus far of everything that people have endured. It's going to happen. But when the situation around us is hopeless, it's something as Christians we can get excited for. Because we can become hopeful about one thing, and that's God. And I know there is a room full of people who know they can count on God. And man, how exciting is it when I don't have to trust and put my faith in my family or, or, or people who are going to fail me or my job giving me a raise or, 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 or the situation changing or, or my own self. But I get to trust in the one who's always been faithful, who always will be faithful and is faithful. All we got to do is remember the way Paul did. He says, when we felt like we had a death sentence, we remembered, oh yeah, God raises the dead. So what are we going to do? We're going to keep placing our hope in him. 
you are in pain, you need to find comfort in community. You need to put that pain to purpose. I, I promise you, the other day, I had a friend, they were going through something. I said, hey, do you feel better being able to talk to them? And they said, I, well, I said, did they provide any comfort? And they, the person was like, you know, they didn't really say anything. But being able to be there for them somehow helped me. You need to put your pain to purpose. And lastly, you need to continue to place your hope in God. And I want to close with this. And like I said, this is all throughout the Bible. Honestly, we could do a series on pain because the Bible talks about it so much. But I want to talk about the person we fix our eyes on and how he responded to pain, and that's Jesus. And when we look all throughout the Gospels, we will see this, but I want to highlight some key moments. We will see in Matthew 26 that Jesus found comfort in community. Oh, it is on the screens. I didn't plan for it to be on the screens, but bonus points. Media team, you get bonus points today. Get diamonds on your crown. Um, we see that Jesus found comfort in community. It says, he said to them, this is Jesus getting ready to go to the cross. He knows he's about to get arrested and get crucified. He says, my heart, this is Jesus, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. What does he say to his disciples? Stay here and keep watch with me. He took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. In the midst of, look at what it says, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into agony. What did he do? He got himself surrounded by his three closest disciples and asked that they would pray with him. He found comfort in community. This is, like I can't stress enough, this is him knowing he's about to be crucified. This is what he does. He asks for his friends to be with him. Jesus, I mean, come on. This isn't even a, a revelation right here. Jesus literally, he didn't just put his pain to purpose. He used pain for a purpose. And Hebrews 12, 2 encapsulates it perfectly. It says, we look away at the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us toward in, forward into faith's perfection his example is this because his heart was focused on the joy I'm going to modify that the purpose of knowing that you would be his he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and he now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that his death would lead to us being his. Us being in this room. He literally used his pain for a purpose. And lastly, Jesus hoped in God. Luke 23, 46 says this. This is Jesus crucified. He's on the cross. He's getting ready to die. And it says, with a loud voice he cried out, Father, I surrender my spirit into your hands. And he took his last breath and died. 
his last words before his death were to put his hope in God, were to literally command his spirit into the hands of God. And what's beautiful is in the, the books of the apostles, after Christ resurrects, the way they talk about his resurrection is they say, Christ, whom was raised from the dead by God the Father. Most of the time, majority of the time, Christ, who was raised from the dead by God the Father. And I love that because it creates this picture. Now this, I don't know if it's intentional, but I love that it creates this picture of the last thing that Jesus said before he died was, God, Dad, I trust you. And God was faithful to raise him from the dead. And the way that Paul says it, God is faithful to raise us from the dead. Jesus was the picture of placing hope in God. He was the picture of finding comfort in community and the picture of putting pain to purpose, church. And I don't know what you're going through, but I've been through some things. I've been through pain. If you're hurt, I want you to know that I'm hurting too. But I think there's a way to go through this. I think that it starts with God and embracing his comfort and breaking up with isolation, church. And then taking that comfort and connecting with others or allowing others to come and comfort you. And then taking that pain and putting it into purpose. And at all times, man, you can build resilience to pain. I, I, I said you can't prepare for pain, but you can build resilience. Mutai fighters, they do this. They do this in a way I wouldn't recommend. What they do is they knead their shins until the nerve endings stop. And I'm not saying to numb yourself to pain. This, don't hear what I'm not saying. But it gets to a point where they no longer are affected by the pain. And we can get to a place where we build resilience to pain. Not that it stops hurting us, not that we become this invulnerable superhuman people, but to a place where it no longer conquers us. Because before pain, I'm putting my hope in God. And after, during pain, I'm putting my hope in God. And after pain, I'm putting my hope in God. At all times, I am putting my hope in God. And at this point, I want to offer the opportunity for someone here. If you've never done this, there's a room full of people who are loud and excited because they've placed their faith in Jesus. And when I say some of these things, it automatically connects because they know when I say God is faithful, they have a download of memories of that time God saved me, that time God did this, that time God did that because they've been on a journey. What I want to do is if you are new here I want, and you want to get started and experience this, I want to invite you on that journey. If you'd like to place your faith and your hope in Jesus today, I'm going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand. I just ask you to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying for. Everybody else is going to close their eyes with us. It'll be anonymous. We're not going to put you on blast. And I want you to know there's no entry fee to placing your faith in Jesus. 
There's no like, I want a relationship with him, but I got to go do this. No, no, no. The story of the gospel is that Jesus did it all so that you can have a relationship with him. All you have to focus on is getting connected with him. Oh, but I sin. I've sinned too. You know how I've conquered sin? I go to Jesus. Every time I've fallen, I go to Jesus and I just ask for more of Jesus. I can't give you a recipe. Oh, do these five workouts and sin will be gone. No, no, no. Spend time with Jesus. So, so what I'm inviting you to, there's no cost to. Jesus literally paid the price so that you could be his. We read this. So all that you have to do is say yes and ask him to come into your life. So I'm going to count to three. At, on, at home, you can do this as well. And we'll, we'll, we'll be praying for you here. One, two, three. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus, raise your hand today. What I, what I want to do is I want to pray with you. Um, I believe that as soon as you raise your hand, Jesus came into your life. He's right there. You have access to him now. He is there. I just want to say a prayer with you to make it symbolic, to, to make a physical connection. You, you know, when people get married, the rings don't make them married, but it's a symbol of the love. And so I want to do that today through prayer. So I want you to say this prayer with me. I'm going to say it and you're going to repeat after me. We're actually all going to say it together because we really believe in this church. No one goes it alone. So sorry if you're really introverted because we clingy going to say this prayer with you. Your journey with us starts today in us saying this together. I'm going to say it. Let's, every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Change my life. I'm placing all of my faith in you. In your name, amen. And for anybody, can we, yeah, yeah, let's clap it up for anybody who placed their faith in Jesus. And for anybody who's going through pain, I just want to pray for you as well. I'm going to pray over you guys. And then we're going to get ready to worship. And I love worship because I think in worship we get the opportunity to respond to these messages. And with everything we've got, commit to everything that we heard. So let me pray for you all. Lord, I, I ask that you bless this church that we may be people who change the narrative on pain. That pain may not be something that defeats us, overwhelms us, or debilitates us, but that we may become just like your son Jesus and made in the image of God, Lord. That we may be people who transform pain into something miraculous and use it to heal the world, Lord. The way that your son took his pain and saved us. That we may be people who, though we are hurt, we are healing. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.